wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your weekly grape encounter, and the holidays are upon us. And if you are like many people, you probably would love to send a bottle of wine to somebody that you love, right? Well, not exactly. And that is the reason that today I have on somebody who knows an awful lot about the ins and outs, and mostly the outs, of sending wine to other people in other states. We have the most screwed up laws in America. It's been going on for God knows how many years. Tom can tell us. It's Tom Wark. He is the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers. Tom, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on. David, it's great to be back on your show. You have a great blog, by the way, which is Fermentations. And do you write every single day? I try to write every single day. I end up probably writing every other day. If I go too long without writing, there's something that just pulls me back in because I've always believed that it's critically important that everyone know what I'm thinking. So we're going to talk about two things today, actually. I had really intended on talking about just one, but then I was perusing your blog the other day, and there's another topic on there that I really want to get into, and it's the relationship between the cannabis industry and the wine industry, and some things that I'm not very happy about. I mean, I'm really irritated about, and as I said to you offline, uh, many times I have sat down to the microphone thinking, I'm not going to talk about Tempranillo today. I'm going to talk about losing my temper over what's going on with the cannabis industry latching on to the wine industry. But we'll get into that in a sec. Let's talk about the issue at hand. You sent out a press release a couple of days ago regarding a case that is going before the Supreme Court. Can we just start, Tom, by talking about how incredibly screwed up the laws are in America for anybody that wants to send wine to somebody else? You would think you were sending some kind of horrible contraband, and it's really been a horrible issue. There have been some positive changes in recent years, but the wheels could come off the cart in a good way, or it could get even worse. Tell me what's going on. Well, for many, many years, consumers have had a difficult time receiving shipments from out-of-state wineries or retailers. And the reason for that is it's the states that regulate the sale and distribution of wine and alcohol inside their state. And this is a result of the passage of the 21st Amendment, which ended prohibition. But in addition to ending prohibition, 
that amendment also gave the states the specific right to regulate alcohol. And boy, did they like that. So what most of them did with their right to regulate alcohol was build as many protectionist and discriminatory laws they possibly could, protecting their own retailers and their own wineries and their own state from competition from outside. But lawmakers naturally do when they can. But the fact is, alcohol is one of the only products in the world that they can actually build these restrictive laws around because all other products are governed by the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. And the Commerce Clause says only the federal government can regulate interstate commerce. But around 2005, the Supreme Court of the United States said, wait a minute, wait a minute. A state can't allow its own wineries to ship wine to its residents and ban out-of-state wineries from doing the same thing. That's unconstitutional. Why is that unconstitutional? Well, what they said was it's the federal government who has the right to regulate interstate commerce. So states, although you can regulate the sale and distribution of alcohol inside your state, you can't also regulate interstate commerce. That's the Fed's job. So these laws that ban out-of-state wineries from shipping into the state, those are unconstitutional because that's a regulation of interstate commerce. Was there anything dirty going on? You know what I'm saying? Well, sure, I know what you're saying. Let's say you were a retailer in the state of Illinois, or for that matter, a middleman wholesaler in the state of Illinois. You've been contributing dollars to your lawmakers for many, many years, and you decide you want to make sure you have a little bit less competition. So you go to the lawmaker to whom you've been giving thousands and thousands of dollars and say, you know what? We need to ban these out-of-state wineries and out-of-state retailers from shipping in here because they're competing with us. When we do that, we'll tell them we got to protect the kids because the kids are going to be ordering wine over the internet. That's what we'll tell them when we try to pass this law. And the lawmaker said, sure, you keep sending me your money, we'll keep erecting these laws. And that's exactly what they did until 2005. That's when the Supreme Court said, you can't pass these discriminatory laws And so lots and lots and lots of states changed their laws to allow out-of-state wineries to ship wine in. But but at the same time, they restricted out-of-state retailers and wine stores and auction houses and wine of the month clubs, which are not wineries, from shipping wine in. Now think about it. When you restrict a consumer from having wine shipped to them from an out-of-state retailer, that means they can't have any imported wines shipped to them because only retailers sell imported wines in the United States. Right. It means they can't have any wine of the month club wines shipped to them because wine of the month clubs are also retailers. So as it stands now, roughly 45 states will allow out-of-state wineries to ship in. However, only 14 states allow out-of-state retailers to ship in. And that's so ridiculous because that means that you're missing out on, uh, let me see, probably about 70% of the wine available in the world. Hundreds of thousands of wines you're losing access to. Not to mention, let's say you want to buy, uh, I was born in 1963, so if I want to get a birth year wine, my only choice of any wine that's still good is port. Great year for port, but it's hard to find a 1963 port. And so if I look around my local retailers and can't find it, I can go on the internet, do a search for 1963 Wares or Fonseca. Oh, there it is. A New York retailer has a bottle of it. It's $300. I want that. Well, I can buy it. I just can't have it shipped to me. Great. It's against the law. So that's one of the problems, too. You can't get imported wines. You can't get older wines that are collectible. And if I want to join a wine of the month club and I live in one of those states where they bar out-of-state retailers from shipping in, I can't get that either. Tom, it's a pretty sad state of affairs when the only wine that you can get to commemorate your birthday has to be a port because it's the only thing that lasts that long. 
Well, I got lucky actually because <laughs> not many wines will last that long, but port will last that long. So yeah, <laughs> I, I got lucky in that respect. So anyway, tell me what's going on with the Supreme Court. They'll hear this case in January, will it be? It'll be January or February, and it's a new case, and the Supreme Court agreed to hear it back in September. And the case is called Bird versus Tennessee Wine and Spirit Retailers. And it's a little bit complex, but I think I can simplify it for you. In Tennessee, there's a law that says you have to be a resident of Tennessee for two years before we'll give you a retailer's license, a wine retailer's license. In addition to that, the law also says you have to renew that license every year. However, you have to be a resident for 10 years before you can renew it. So I'll let your listeners do the math on that. It's <laughs> a little this? bit absurd. Oh, no, 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 no. After two years of being a resident in, te- in Tennessee, you could get a license. It's only good for two years, but you have to live there for 10 years to renew it. So I guess you just take an eight-year vacation. Is that the deal? That's exactly it. It's a, <laughs> it's, I know. It's essentially an eight-year residency requirement. And so okay. Total Wine wanted to put a um, retail outlet in Tennessee. And the Tennessee retailers, never wanting to have any more competition than they, than they possibly could, told the state, hey, listen, if you give this permit to Total Wine, we're going to sue the state. And uh, Total Wine said, wait a minute, this law is unconstitutional. It violates the Interstate Commerce Clause of the Constitution. If you don't give us a permit, we're going to sue. So the state threw up their hands and said, you know what, we're just going to ask the courts. And the courts said the following. These residency requirements are unconstitutional because they're violations of the Interstate Commerce Clause. And they also said in the 2005 Granholm wine shipping case, the Supreme Court said that a state can't pass laws that burden out-of-state people more than they burden in-state people. The implication of this is that not only is this residency requirement unconstitutional, but so are the retailer shipping bans unconstitutional. So now the Supreme Court is going to hear this case. And they'll undoubtedly say whether or not this residency requirement in Tennessee is unconstitutional. But they also have the opportunity to say, oh, by the way, that Granholm decision we issued back in 2005, that applies to retailers too. You can't ban out-of-state wine retailers from shipping in if you allow your own retailers to ship. Yeah, And so that's why everyone is excited because the Supreme Court has another chance to say, Um, consumers don't have to be screwed any longer. I like it. And the only thing I'm concerned about is, you know, we have a new Supreme Court justice who seems much more interested in beer than wine. Maybe he'll take the long <laughs> view and, and think about, wait, maybe I need to have some of these uh, beers shipped to well, me there's, too. Well, you there's, never know. Well, there certainly are all those craft beer makers out there, and that's an industry that's definitely affected just the same way. Hey, I'm talking to Tom Wark. He is the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, has got a great blog, fermentationwineblog.com, wealth of information. Tom, hang with me, will you? And uh, sure. we'll get a little further into this when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Grape Encounters is 100% estate grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. The central coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's central coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. 
Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a 365 days a year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days, even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Did you know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and the holidays are here. I love to send wine to my family and friends. It is not always the easiest thing to do, and thank goodness most of them live in the same state that I do. I have on somebody who is working very hard to advocate for better and more fair laws for wine retailers and wine producers as well. He's the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, it is Tom Wark, and Tom has the blog, which is called Fermentation Wine Blog. I think voted best blog of them all. Yes, the blog was voted best wine blog, and a couple times I've uh, received the award for best business blog. I tend to, to write primarily about issues pertaining to the, the business of wine, the culture of wine, the politics of wine, that sort of thing. So although I don't have a large consumer readership, I have a fairly dedicated and large trade-related readership, and I've been doing it since, I don't know, 2004 or so. You know, Tom, one of the most common letters that I get from listeners is, how come in my state I only have like 12 wines to choose from? <laughs> Drives people nuts. They, they they listen to my show, but then they can't really get the wines that they'd like to drink. They go to the package stores, you know, in some states, and the selection is ridiculous. Other states, not so much. It seems like an absolute tragedy that 
wines that are part of America's greatest pride are not available to all Americans. I mean, it would be like, uh, you know, what you were saying earlier, it would be like saying, I can't buy a Volkswagen and drive it because it's not made in my state. That's exactly what it would be like. It's a little bit absurd. I mean, can you imagine the booksellers in California going to the legislature and say, we'd like you to ban the shipment of books into the state? People would stare, stare at them with blank stares on their face, and then they'd start to laugh. It's the most absurd thing you could possibly think of. And yet, similar laws like this exist in 36 states around the country where it comes to wine. I'm not sure I completely understand the regulations because, I mean, first of all, you can walk into almost any winery and if you want to buy wine and you're from out of state and you don't want to carry it on a plane, they'll ship it to you and they can ship it to most states. So it's a little easier for the winery. It is much easier for the wineries. And again, that was because of the 2005 Supreme Court decision. Today, I think it's 45 states will allow um, shipments from out-of-state wineries. However, only 14 states allow shipments from out-of-state retailers. And that's problematic on a number of uh, Okay, levels. so how, how does a company like Wine.com, as an example, big online retailer, mm-hmm. how do they now, ma- why, how do yeah. they manage? Wine.com took another route. What they did is they actually opened warehouses or retail outlets in numerous states where they couldn't ship. So what they have is a local retailer permit. So Uh. when you go to wine.com, the first thing they ask you is, where will this wine be shipped? And you'll say, it's going to be shipped to Iowa. The wines that you then see are the wines that wine.com has purchased inside of Iowa for sale in Iowa. That's how they're able to do it. But that's an extraordinarily expensive way of going about selling it retail, having to open a store in every single state. And no other product in the world requires that in the United States. You don't have to open a bookstore in Iowa in order to send a book to somebody in Iowa. You can open your store anywhere you want. And the same for just about any other product, clothes, shoes, electronics, et cetera, et cetera. But with wine, they're able to throw up restrictions and they happily do to satisfy campaign contributors. And the funny thing is, is that the restrictions are sometimes based on something completely different than interstate trade. Wine is often demonized and we've got to regulate wine because, you know, we've got to, you know, keep people safe from it. And yet you can get cheap wine that you're likely to guzzle a whole lot faster, right? But the wines that you're going to sip and not uh, potentially abuse are the ones you can't get. You know, it's funny because when this first issue came about, say in the mid 90s to around 2000, you had all these state wholesalers and state retailers running the legislature and saying, we've got to stop these shipments into into the state because the kids are going to get their hands on this wine. They're going to get drunk and they're going to kill themselves. And usually people would go, are you kidding me? You think a 17-year-old guy is going to make an order online, wait a week for it to come, and then somehow try to have an ID to show to the delivery person and do it when their parents aren't there. It just doesn't happen. It's never happened. And today, you rarely see that argument made anymore because it's so absurd. Now, when there are laws that would restrict people's ability to have wine shipped to them from out of state, the argument they usually make is pretty blatant. They say, we simply don't want the competition. Why should we, should our retailers in this state, have to compete with retailers in other states? Now, when they make these arguments, they're usually pretty clear about it. They say, we just don't want the competition. Wouldn't it be smarter on the part of the states to focus on sales tax instead? Well, you know, you've got you've got all of this wine coming in, or potentially all of this wine coming in. Charge sales tax on it. 
Well, absolutely. There was a bill in Texas a couple of years ago that would have allowed Texans to receive shipments from out-of-state retailers. I went down to Austin and I testified. And I sat there and I told the committee members who were listening to me testify that if you pass this bill, I guarantee you, I'll bring you $2 million in new sales taxes in the first year. By the fifth year, who knows where that will be? It could be well up to five, six, ten million dollars $10 million. Just let your consumers have wine shipped them from out of state and we'll pay your taxes. So that wasn't good enough for them. So, so I still want to understand because I don't want to name any names. There's a lot of people selling wine and shipping it to other states. And I'm talking about more than 13 or 14 states. Mm-hmm. And they do it every day and they advertise it openly. I get probably, uh, I'm going to say, uh, I get four or five emails every single day from somebody that's selling wine and will take an order and ship it wherever I want it to go. So yeah. the rules aren't it, the rules aren't being enforced, I guess, is the case, right? A few years ago, up until about 2015, it was despite the fact that it was illegal to have wines shipped to you by retailers from out of state, a lot of retailers still did that. However, over the past two years, what's happened is retailers and wholesalers have told the regulatory agencies that this is happening. The regulatory agencies in different states, they don't have the capability to stop this. So what they did was they went to Fed and UPS. And they told FedEx and UPS, you're going to start reporting everything that you send into this state that's alcohol. And if there's anybody who you carried alcohol into this state for that doesn't have a permit, that would be all retailers, that doesn't have a permit to ship, in trouble. And so since then, FedEx and UPS have really been cracking down. And now it's extraordinarily difficult to have FedEx and UPS send a bottle of wine into a state where it's allegedly illegal to do so. So a lot of consumers have had their source cut off, as it were. But that said, free trade and commerce will find a way. We're talking to Tom Wark. He is the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, talking about a case that's going between the Supreme Court. And if this goes Tom's way and if it goes my way, then wine is going to start going your way. Right, Tom? Well put. All right. We're going to come back. We're going to jump into a topic that I I wish I didn't have to talk about, but it really annoys the, the Dickens out of me. The relationship between wine and the really brand new cannabis industry and some things that are happening that I don't particularly like. We'll talk about that next on Grape Encounters. So stay with me. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets. 
and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the internet. Go to peakranch.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And I'll tell you what, there has been more written, and I'm not kidding you, in the wine trades lately about something that isn't wine than you can possibly imagine. And I'm talking about cannabis, especially if you're in a state like California. Everything is cannabis. And, you know, it's going to be a countrywide phenomenon before too long. We've been talking with Tom Wark. He's the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers about the regulations that are placed upon wine and how hard it is to get wines across state lines. But now we're going to change the subject because he's written a lot about the cannabis movement. And I want to say, Tom, uh, first of all, thanks for being on with me. I appreciate that. Pleasure. And then uh, secondly, I want to make it really clear about my position with cannabis. And it's this. I don't care. I'm into wine. I am never going to do a wine and cannabis show. It's never going to happen. So if you're waiting for me to talk about cannabis other than in the context of this conversation, not happening because I don't think that they're as alike as people want you to believe. Tom, are you astounded by how the cannabis industry is trying to piggyback on the hundreds of years of reputation that was built by the wine industry? And probably worse is a lot of people in the wine industry, and there are a lot, big companies, some of the biggest that are getting into the cannabis game. And that's all in the name of profit because you don't drink wine for the same reason that you smoke pot. Plain and simple. I agree with you for the most part. First of all, more and more companies that are in the wine business will be getting into the cannabis business because the profit potential is just too great to ignore. And wineries have been exposed to the heavy regulations in the wine industry that they'll also face in the cannabis industry. So they have that experience. So you can expect more wineries and wine related companies to get into that business. But one of the things that first concerned me about cannabisation was that I knew for a fact, and I know for a fact that it's going to impact the wine sales. Here's why. Really? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a fairly large contingent of folks who get home from work and they have a bottle of wine or they have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine. The reason they do have that wine is not because they want to they want to have that lovely flavor flow over their palate. They want to take a load off, right? And that's fine. That's one of the great things about wine. And so they drink wine, you know, either when they get home from work or when they put the kids down, they take a load off, they have a couple glasses of wine. Well, there's a certain number of those people who are going to switch to cannabis. And this could be those people who are buying the sort of 8 to $15 bottles of wine. We are definitely going to see an impact on wine sales from people who are switching to cannabis. And that's that's fine. That said, you are right, David. The cannabis industry is trying to piggyback on top of the goodwill that the wine industry has built as being a product of the earth, a product of terroir, and something that can be appreciated aesthetically. And so cannabis is trying to work with the wine industry. They're trying to put together wine and cannabis tours, and they're trying to make themselves out to be just like the wine industry. And in a lot of respects, they are. But I'll tell you what bothers me more than anything else, and that is this. If you look at the marketing that's being done for cannabis, there's a certain amount of it that reminds people that wine is alcohol and alcohol is bad for you. And in the same breath, they say, on the other hand, cannabis is very good for you. 
Now, it's illegal for a winery to make any health claims whatsoever. Here, since there are no federal wow. regulations on the sale of cannabis, cannabis producers and retailers and dispensaries, they can say whatever they want, essentially, about the health benefits of cannabis, while wineries can say nothing, despite the fact that we have reams and reams of research that says, drink moderately, and it's good for your heart. So one of the things that bothers me is that cannabis is not only trying to latch on to the goodwill that exists in the wine industry, but at the same time, some of their marketing is absolutely bashing alcohol and wine. Well, I would disagree with you on one of the first things that you said just a little bit, okay? And I, you know, in terms of the buzz, just because, you know, when you go back and you look at wine in history, yes, there was a lot of debauchery that was egged on by wine, but at the same time, a lot of people used wine, even philosophers used wine just to get, you know, get a little bit of attitude adjustment. I call mm-hmm. it attitude adjustment because I don't like, I don't like being drunk. I just don't. And I'm with you on and, that. And that, that's why I think I like fine wine, especially because each sip reminds me that if I gulp it, it might as well be a $3 bottle of wine. And that serves a completely different purpose. But really on this show, we're talking about fine wine. And so I would make that distinction between, you know, the wine that you picked up on the way home for, you know, three to five dollars. And and you're using it to self-medicate. That's a whole different thing. It's not what I do. But anybody that holds cannabis to their lips, you know, certainly there's the medicinal aspects of it. And I'm all in favor of that. CBD products, you know, are really being produced at a hellacious pace right now. And a lot of people are claiming a lot of good from them. And I think that's fantastic. But it's different. The way we use and the ultimate goal of using cannabis versus wine, I think I think it's different. Well, I don't disagree with you, actually. And here's here's the difference as I see it. One can sit down to dinner and have a glass of wine with no expectation whatsoever, getting high or getting buzzed or any of that, of simply complimenting their meal. One does not sit down with a bowl of indica and say to themselves, I just want to experience the nice pleasure of the, of the flavor and aroma of this bud. But Tom, if you sit down to dinner and you do partake in cannabis, you are going to enjoy the dinner and everybody else's dinner at the table as well. That's funny. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, right. everybody's. Are you going to eat that? <laughs> That's funny. You're right. Now, and you know, now, by the way, there's a number of different cannabis and wine pairing dinners that are happening across the state. Oh, no. It's really, I have, really I have, interesting. I have not heard about this. Yeah. It's, you go there. You go to these cannabis and wine dinners. And the first thing they do is they present you with a joint of some sort, you know. And so you get a little bit high. And then you sit down. And I, I swear this is true, David. They'll have a, a different kind of cannabis to pair and a different wine to pair with each dish. No, no, no. I don't want to know about that. And you know what, what I also find a, a little weird are the cannabis wines that people are trying to formulate now. And I'm not sure. Yeah. What the, I mean, what is the purpose of that exactly? Because I'll be honest, I've tasted at least one of those and it just ruins the it ruins the wine. It absolutely ruins it. I may take this from the cannabis connoisseurs out there, but I don't think that cannabis improves just about anything that it touches. And it doesn't improve the taste of wine unless you want to infuse this sort of weedy, lemony, heady quality, earthy quality to the wine. The wine turns out in these cases to simply be delivery vehicles for cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I'm glad we talked about this. We're going to talk about this more as time goes on. But, you know, I just feel this way that the effort to try to link these two very different products. And again, I'm not passing judgment on either one of them, but the idea of trying to link these products together and make them brother and sister is just, uh, I find it objectionable personally. And I know that there are a lot of people out there, if not most that are in the wine industry that find it objectionable. I don't speak for them. I just speak for myself, but you know, let's not be sucked into that. And I understand, look, you've got all this land and now you see the opportunity to make tens of millions of dollars because you can make more 
planting cannabis than planting grapes. That's a personal decision. But I know a lot of really broke winemakers who prefer <laughs> to be broke winemakers because wine is their passion, not their profit. I understand exactly what you're saying. And um, we'll see this develop more over the coming years. I mean, the cannabis market here in California and every other state is still a little bit immature. It's going to mature very, very fast, however. And the marketer is going to get very sophisticated and they will take lessons from the wine industry. Well, pretty weird when you turn on. I was listening to the radio the other day and I heard a commercial for a big seminar being hosted by John Boehner, yeah. a former Speaker of the House. Like, would would he really have been a pot advocate back when he was the speaker? I don't think so. <laughs> no, well, that's where the money is, right? I'd rather be broke and just drinking wine than, than selling myself out. I'm sorry. And Tom, I know you're a guy who does not sell himself out. So I, I try not to. I appreciate you very much, Tom. And uh, thanks. We got, got in two very important topics that I've been wanting to talk about. So I, I really am glad that you came on with me. Hope you have a great holiday. And a well, I plan to. Season. And um, congratulations, too, again, on the continued success of this show. Well, we try. Try to just uh, take – there's got to be something in it for everybody. And we'll try to keep informed on these laws, too. These consumer laws are very important. And the more you know, the more um, you'll have access to really good wines. There's one thing I'd just like to mention before I go, and sure. that is if any of your listeners want to stay up to date with laws and how they impact consumers, there's a great website called winefreedom.org. And it's a, it's a, it's a site that's built for consumers. Who, who want to take action if they, if they can on these laws, whether it's a bill that's coming up in a different state or some other um, condition that's arisen in another state. This is where they can keep track of all those different things. It's winefreedom.org. Winefreedom.org. All right. Hey, coming up next, we're going to do a little lighthearted thing to end the show. We're going to have in the studio some fellows that played at an event that I did last night, and they are the Naked Waiters, Tom. Oh, that should be fun. A group of ukulele players who we discovered at another winery. You get great entertainment at wineries, and so we had them here, and what a great time. And uh, they're going to be producing our theme song for the uh, Grape Encounter show. So uh, that coming up next, my thanks to Tom Wark, Executive Director of the National Association of Wine Retailers. You can find him at Fermentation Wine Blog. Thanks, Tom. We'll see you next time. Thank you, David. Over the past 10 years that I've been talking on all things wine, my product endorsements have definitely been few and far between. That's because I'm not just a wine journalist. I'm also a wine critic and a wine judge, and I've got a reputation. Not that kind of reputation. Anyway, the wines of Peak Ranch would easily win a gold medal for me in any blind tasting. They're a small boutique label making wines from grapes grown on one of California's most legendary properties. The Pinots, the Chardonnays, and Syrahs are going to absolutely blow your mind. And because Peak Ranch is a new name to most wine enthusiasts, they're priced well below the price they'll likely command as more and more of you see the remarkable scores and reviews they're getting from the world's toughest critics. Log on to PeakRanch.com, read their story, and buy a bottle or two or three. Each varietal is a masterpiece. Get yours online at PeakRanch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E Ranch.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. 
At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. The Central Coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's Central Coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a 365 days a year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days, even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. I want to end the show with some guys that played for us last night. An incredible show. And why am I doing this? I'm going to tell you. Because I can tell you with absolute certainty that some of the best entertainment that you're ever going to find these days is at wineries. They get really cool groups there. And because winemakers are so intent on creating something that's new and different and unique, they oftentimes will bring in talent that is new and different and unique. And that is the case with the fellas that I'm going to introduce. And I'm actually bringing them in here for another reason, because now that I've got them on national radio, I'm going to hit them up for a favor. <laughs> anyway, with me is the Naked Waiters. Hello. Hello. All the way from Utah. From yep. Utah. Yeah, we live in Provo. We became, I guess, a band in Cedar City, a small town. about 30,000 people in southern Utah. First of all, you guys have your clothes on, which is terrific. <laughs> is this a problem? <laughs> well, I could tell them that you don't have your clothes on, but sure. Anyway, but, a, but anyway, you guys all play ukuleles. We yeah. do. And that's kind of a strange thing, you know. And uh, certainly not common. Not common, yeah. not uncommon to have ukuleles in the mix with other instruments. Correct. But when it's all ukuleles, and then you you play three different kinds, right? Yeah. I discovered them because some winemakers that I know actually met them at another winery where they were playing. Correct. Called Sculptera. Yep. And so the folks at Defiance, which is a winery that I'm working with, were there. I guess they heard you and then they brought you out here from Utah and we snaked you into our place. That's right. Last night and for a show that was so incredibly memorable. So glad you enjoyed it. 
Yeah. So when you play at a place like a winery, I've got to think that you've got a more sort of open-minded crowd that is interested in something that's off the beaten path. I mean, that's what the I think the wine lifestyle is all about, is discovery. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that people who love wine are so passionate about finding new and different discoveries, we would only just have, you know, 10 wines to choose from. Right. But instead, we have millions. Right. Do you love playing those gigs? Playing at a winery is a lot of fun. You know, we meet a lot of interesting and I guess maybe fun is the right word, people. Yeah. People that are cheerful and friendly and happy and <laughs> well, they're drinking wine. Exactly, for- and that yeah. was that was the other thing I was going to say. They're a little loose, a little looser. Hey, I didn't introduce you guys though by name. So we have Clark. Clark, hello. And we have Andy. Andy here. And we have Kim. Yes, hello. Anyway, it's the Naked Waiters. And you guys are actually pretty conservative fellows. So how did you become the Naked Waiters? Well, Andy and I have been in in multiple music groups together. We went to high school together and we were in choir and, and, and marching band and things like that. But um, I was in the marching band too. Oh, cool! What did you play? Trombone. Nice. Yes, me too. Yeah, mine's up. Very cool. Mine's upstairs. I can read down. <laughs> right? I totally should. Yeah. Oh That's yeah, awesome. Very it's a very forever. sexy instrument. Trombone. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, women, oh yeah. Women swoon when they hear right. <laughs> trombone. Yeah. <laughs> But naked waiters, I mean, that's a little provocative. Of course. Sure. And you guys are not provocative guys. I mean, you not guys too are much, really no. very, uh, you know, very reserved, maybe decent fellows. Yes. Well, good. Uh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. You know, we try to be wholesome, yeah, wholesome, wholesome people. So, okay. You're going to answer my question or yeah. not. <laughs> so the story goes, we had a friend who had a date and he wanted to make it special. So he asked us, his friends, to be their waiters. And serve them food in the backyard. Yes. And then he, uh, the idea was to do it in Speedos just because we were wearing Speedos all the time that summer. Okay. And so uh, as he was gone, Andy wanted to uh, step it up a notch and take off the Speedos and no. only wear aprons and bow ties. Yeah. Okay, but nothing showing. So the guy had a date. I hope it wasn't right. a first date. It was the first date. <laughs> oh, no. And so that was the magic of this whole day. It was like <laughs> a hilarious surprise. And uh, just as the night went on, we like decided to play them some love songs at the end of oh, dinner. That's beautiful. And so that was our first time ever playing together as friends you guys were so good last night i mean i it was without a doubt we've had a lot of entertainment here Mm -hmm. at our venue and it was without a doubt the best show i've seen here Cool. I, I just, awesome. well, I thought, you. I thought it was absolute perfection. You have some of your own songs. We do. And then you cover some really interesting music as well. One in particular, I'm going to have you guys play a little bit of Havana. Okay. And also you could play a little bit of one of your songs. But the reason I dragged you guys in here is because I got to hit you up 10 years now. We're almost ready to hit episode 500. Wow. Of Grape Encounters. Okay. So here's the deal. Okay. <laughs> you guys ready? Yes. Ready. Here Here's the deal. Episode 500. Okay. I want to debut with an opening that we use for the next 500 shows of theme music created by the Naked Waiters. And we're happy to do that. What do you guys think about that? That sounds awesome to me. So how many are you away? Oh, gosh. Yeah, good question. We are at 486 right now. Okay. By year end, we're there. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little time. Sure. For 10 years, I've been trying to find the right group to do theme music for us. Cool. And and here's why here's why I like you guys, especially because there's just something incredibly happy about ukulele. It's just happy. I agree with you on that. Wine is a celebratory beverage and it's always it seems associated with happy moments, happy times. Right. I have finally found 
some folks who whose music reflects the joy and happiness and the frivolity, I should say, mm. of what we do with Grape Encounters. So what's the song that we're going to play here now? We'll do an original song, a song that we uh, wrote because of a breakup. Uh, it's based off of an episode of Pokemon, which is cheesy, but it kind of fits our vibe. Okay. And what's it called? It's called I Want to Be Your Butterfree. No, All right, guys. All right. Here we go. It's, it's the Naked Waiters. <laughs> we have Clark and Andy and Kim and you guys just give me a little bit of that and then we'll take it out with Havana. Okay? Sounds good. I Sounds love good. that song. Yeah, let's do it. Baby, you got me Susan. Yeah, with that sleep powder you use. Skin so soft and pink. Make me forget how to bleed. So fly You know you're just my type Let me be your butterfree I wanna be your butterfree Oh my gosh that is so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That is so awesome. All right. I got to tell you, I love this song. Yes. It is called Havana. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. We're going to finish with The Naked Waiters. Thank you. Here we go. Havana, oh, na, na. Half of my heart is in Havana, oh, na, na. He took me back to East Atlanta, na, na, na. Open oh, my heart is in Havana. There's something about his manners. Havana. Nah, he didn't walk up with that how you do it. When he came in, he said there's a lot of girls I can do it. But I can't with I knew him forever in a minute. Your grape encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. Feeling like ooh.